realized that as we um, uh, kind of prayed for them and sent them off, I did. I was supposed to ask them some questions <laughs> as they as as we received them, but um, they read these questions and I know in their hearts they said yes. So we'll we'll skip that part. Um, yes. Um, all right, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to start that today. And this, is, this will go all the way through uh, the Easter season and also um, to the end of the summer, actually, at, at the, towards the end of August. Um, we'll read from Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 15. And just want to just highlight a few things. Uh, it wasn't always the case, but the Gospel of Mark, um, scholars now say, was the original uh, Gospel. It was written first. Uh, it's sort of the original source of the other Gospels. Um, it's, um, scholars say that it's dictated by Peter, and Mark received from Peter and wrote it down. We kind of we have that sense because most of the narrative in the Gospel of Mark includes Peter in some form. And so it's his Gospel. Um, it's also the shortest of the Gospels, and you could kind of sense, even today we'll read it, it's, it's, Mark kind of takes away all the, maybe the, um, the commentaries and other narratives. It gives us who Jesus is, uh, what he said, what he did, and it gets to the point, kind of like Peter, I think, his personality. And so we'll, we'll read, that, read um, chapter 1 together, and we'll get, get a sense of that. But again, throughout uh, the spring and the summer, we'll study uh, the Gospel of Mark. So let me go ahead and read it for us. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Then he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen. We'll stop there. This is God's word. Um, Mark here immediately introduces Jesus to us. And he does three things for us. One, he gives us Jesus' identity. Number two, he gives us Jesus' message. 
And then he tells us how we can respond to Jesus or how we can prepare for Jesus. And so those three things I want to briefly go over. One, the identity of Jesus. Verse 1, he, he abruptly in some sense says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the whole book is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And gospel literally means the good news. So the book is about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? He says he's the Son of God. So Jesus was not an ordinary person, but he was actually the Lord, God, who came to be with his people. He came down to earth. He took on flesh. And that's what Mark immediately says to us. But he doesn't just tell us that Jesus was the Son of God. If you look at verse 9, he actually gives us a picture of that sonship. Verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this is amazing because I think what's happening here is we get a glimpse into um, the divine uh, interactions of the, the triune God. We have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit interacting with one another. And, and Mark gives us a glimpse into that. It's, I mean, this is amazing where God the Father shows up as Jesus, the Son, is getting baptized. And He declares to Him, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, the, the God the Spirit comes down to be with Jesus, to comfort Him and strengthen Him, to encourage Him. And we get a, we get a sense of Jesus' sonship. And what we see throughout the Gospels and Gospel of Mark as well is that this interaction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. How God the Father is delighting in the Son, and God the Son is exalting the Father, and God the Spirit is near the Son. And there's this, there's this dynamics that's, other-centered. God the Father says, Son, I love you. God the Son says, I exalt you, Father. And it's this dynamics that's beautiful and intimate. It's um, about two years ago, we sent, our family sent our first son to college. And you have a lot of emotion, emotions. You, you drive into his campus, you unload the car, and you help him settle in, and, and you realize that, that like, this is it. He's going to be away from like your family for, for a while now. And so obviously there is sadness. Right? You go, if you feel sad, you think in your mind, like what happened? Like I used to change your diapers. Now you are, here you are, you're about to leave for college. But, but on the other hand, you're, you're proud because now he's an adult, right? He's getting sent out from our home to become his own person. And, and there's this Proud, you're, you're proud of him and there's a sense of excitement. So there's a lot of emotions that are mixed together when you're sending off your first child. At least that was with us. But at the end of like our time together, we helped him settle in. We bought a few things and I think we had a meal together. As we were leaving him there, we just simply said, hey, you know, we, we're, we're proud of you and uh, we love you. And I think that's what here... It's Jesus is experiencing. It's the triune God. Jesus, the Son, is about to go forth. 
He's going to start his earthly ministry, and his ministry is going to be filled with sufferings and pain. And the family of God, the triune God, gathers together to say, we love you. We encourage you, we empower you, we strengthen you, we're with you. I think that's what's happening. And Jesus leaves, right? He enters into uh, Jesus's, uh, his, his earthly ministry leading up to the cross. So that's what we're seeing here. God, so Mark's introducing, giving us Jesus was, is the Son of God. Now, wh- the, the reason why this passage here is important, and this actually could be a whole nother sermon or sermons, right? Because here we see the triune God. The reason why this is important is because Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God. Not a unilateral, not a personal God, but a triune God. And that's significant because if we believe that God was one with one person, then in his essence would have been power or sovereignty. Because in order for any person to love someone, like you need to, you need to create some other being to have this interaction of love, like what we see here. But Scripture tells us that we have been made in the image of God, the triune God. In God's essence is love. What that means then for us, for us to experience life, that God has for us, to become fully human in our essence, in our core. Our ultimate reality has to be this loving relationships. Because apart from that, we're not really imaging God, our creator. God in his essence is love. Before he created anything, God existed in three persons and adored, exalted, glorified one another. So I was thinking about this. Some of us, as we, as, especially with the pandemic, we, we, we're coming out of the season. I think some of us, myself included, have picked up some habits that are not good. Because unfortunately, I mean, circumstantially, we have been forced to be by ourselves for a long time. Again, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. We just had to do that for a long time. But unfortunately, habits become like the new norm. And so for some of us, we've lost the, the, the energy or the muscle of loving other people or embracing other people, or making space for other people to enter in. We've lost that, like the muscle. Our muscle in that aspect is weak. And I think what we need to re-engage in, because this is how we are made, we need to re-engage in loving people. Maybe that's people in this community. Maybe it's people in your neighborhood. But we need to re-engage in, in relationships because that's how we are created. So let's do that. Because apart, if we don't re-engage in this way, um, we're not going to live out the call that God has for us. We're not, we're not imaging God. We're not becoming fully human. We are made in the image of the triune God, that means there is this need and desire to be in relationships, both loving other people and receiving love. And again, some of us, that's been missing for the past two years. It's time for us to re-engage, obviously, with wisdom and however the Lord might be leading you. 
But that's like that's one application that we can really apply immediately because this is who we are. This is who our God is. Second thing that Mark tells us is we he tells us the the message of Jesus. Again, immediately look at verse 15 with me. These are Jesus' first words, public words, that's recorded to us by Mark. And he says, the, Jesus says, a time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this sentence summarizes Jesus' ministry. It summarizes all that Jesus is going to teach. He says, the time is here. The kingdom of God is near or at, at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Again, gospel means, literally means good news. And in Jesus' times, it wasn't a religious word. Gospel just simply meant good news, and it was often used by people who came back from war, saying, I have good news. The war is over. We are victorious. That's what, that was the gospel. And so when Mark writes this, he's saying, something has happened. Christ has come. This is good news. Now, what's exactly good about this? Jesus tells us. He says, the kingdom of God is here or is at hand. What's, what's the good news? It's the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. Now, notice how, notice how. Well, what does kingdom mean? Kingdom, I think the good way to um, kind of understand kingdom is it means to rule, right? To reign. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he's saying there is now this new reign or new rule that God is coming. It's kind of like, um, <laughs> um, I grew up here in the DMV region when I was young. I grew up in the 80s. When, in the 80s, the Washington football team was like amazing. They went to four Super Bowl within, I think, 10 years. They won three. And so I was like a huge fan. And then I, w I left, went to Philly, was there for like, I don't know, 16, 17 years. Um, and so I kind of became Eagles fan. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I love both. Okay. But anyways, I, like, you know, you come back and like all you hear about this team is, oh my goodness, it's embarrassing to kind of like follow them because it seems like every other day they have some kind of lawsuit against the team or the owner. Now imagine, I think the... And I, I was reading something, and imagine if um, the Washington football team gets a new owner. I mean, right now it's like chaos, embarrassing, it's shameful, all that's happening. But imagine a new owner comes, and he like fixes everything. He restores everything because he is able to do that. In some sense, that's what kingdom means. It's a re new reign. It's, it's um, rule. And Jesus here says the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning Jesus is going to usher in a new reign or new rule of God. Notice how um, Mark 1 and Genesis 1 actually kind of mirrors one another. Mark 1 or Genesis 1 starts out in the beginning. All right, Mark 1 starts out in the same way, in the beginning. Mark 1, Genesis 1, you have the divine activity of God. They create, right? The, the triune God creates. And then there's temptation that happens with Adam. Mark 1, there's divine activity. 
we see the triune God, then there's also temptation that happens. Jesus is pushed into the desert. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, they fall. They disobey God. They fall into sin and they usher in, they bring in darkness, self-centeredness, sickness, and ultimately death. But in Mark, Jesus, a true son, the second Adam, as Paul says, he overcomes temptations. He stays, remains faithful, obedient to the Father. And then he's now able to usher in the kingdom of God and he will push away the darkness with light. He will heal those who are sick. He will mend those who are broken. That is the ministry of Jesus, right? That's his life. He comes, he says, the kingdom of God is here. And what does he do? He, he heals people. He proclaims the good news. He restores, there's restoration and renewal and healing, ultimately salvation. He destroys death, conquers sin on the cross. That's what here Jesus is saying. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. God will once again rule and reign. Now, we use this term, it's kind of a theological term, but we say the kingdom of God is already here because Jesus came, broken, died for our sins, conquered death. It's already here. And next Sunday, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about how that gets played out in our life. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet complete. Because we're waiting for Jesus to come back to make all things new. Not just personally, but the whole universe will be renewed and restored. So we're waiting for that day. So we're in this era that we say the kingdom of God is already here and not yet complete. But the good, this is the good news though, right? That Jesus now reigns. So much bigger than just, hey, I have a ticket to go to heaven. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit will renew all things, make all things right. As think about in your life just now, the things that are really bothering you. Maybe it's what you read on the news, right, with the war. Uh, maybe it's just personal conflict that you have a coworker. And maybe it's the disappointment that you felt during the pandemic. Whatever that's, that's in your heart that's, that saddens you. Well, kingdom of God says that will be pushed away because God will reign. All things will be made new. Now, how do we respond to this? Because this is, this is the good news. It's good. This is the gospel. How do we respond? Just two things really quickly. They want Jesus here says, repent and believe in the good news. So some of us, that's what we need to do. We need to believe in this good news. And some of you might be saying, but how do you, like, how do you actually believe in this? This is so far removed from me. Um, I, I, I have a hard time believing this. I guess... That was encouraging uh, as I thought about this and read about this is that the first century Jews, um, if their 
was a people group that would have had a hard time believing the gospel, it would have been the first century Jews. Because their whole concept of life was centered around their religious activity around the temple. And their view of God, right, the Lord, Yahweh, He was totally, utterly separate from, like, their life. Only one person, the most holy person in the whole nation, went into the temple, the Holy of Holies, only once a year. And even then, he he did it with much trembling. You could not get close to God without all of these sacrifices. So for them to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, I mean, that went That was antithetical to everything that they believed in, individually, culturally, intellectually, socially, everything. But yet they believed because as we talked about the past Sundays, Jesus did rise from the dead. There were eyewitnesses and that began to spread. So I just want to encourage you, um, have hearts that are open, repent and believe in the good news because this is good. And there's one more thing, right? It's, this is so good, and I don't know how to say it. Like, it is so good. This is good news that God is here. He's going to restore all things that are broken. Some of us, some of us might think that um, the Christian life is getting a ticket to heaven, right? You go, oh, I got my ticket. I did quick research uh, this week, and in, ninth, in 2018, this is before the pandemic, 2018, the most popular ticket to any event was a BTS concert. Um, number two was a Broadway show in New York, uh, Harry Potter. But BTS was number one. And so I was thinking, I, can't, I mean, I, I don't know anything about BTS, okay? But it sounds like a sandwich to me. But, um, <laughs> but imagine, imagine you, you're a fan and you get a ticket to its concert or their concert. <laughs> you're so excited. Wow, this is great. I have a ticket to go, to, go see BTS. Um, and that's good. I mean, that might, be, that might be a good news. And partly, that's Christianity kind of offers that, that you have now access to God. You might think that way. But what, what if you get this ticket and the BTS, this music group says, not only are you going to watch us perform, but we want you to be up here in the front performing with us. That's like another, okay, <laughs> there's, there's another level of, if you're, again, if you're a fan, it doesn't do anything to me, but if you're a fan, I mean, that's amazing, right? Oh my goodness, I get to actually be up there with them, performing, I'm going to hang out with them, spend time with them, I'm going to be part of the tour and what they do and what they accomplish. The good news of the gospel is not only that we get an access to God and God's presence, but God says, I'm going to renew all things, and I want you to be part of this kingdom advancing work. God, me? I don't have much to offer. God says, it's okay. By grace, I'm going to empower you. Not only are you going to taste how good the kingdom of God is, but you're going to be an essential piece in building and furthering God's kingdom. And one day, again, all things will be renewed and you will have played a part in what I am doing. Second, uh, and lastly, really, really briefly, um, an application is this: uh, the chapter one of the Book of Mark starts out with uh, John the Baptist, 
And so you have Matthew, starts out with the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, you have Mark, and Mark starts out with John the Baptist and just really ministry of Jesus. You have Luke, starts, starts out with the birth of Jesus. John starts out all the way back. Um, so John the Baptist, his whole job, his mission in life was to prepare a way for Christ. Um, you know, he proclaimed. He prepared people's hearts so that they would receive Christ. And the, the section there is from the prophets of the Old Testament, right? Isaiah and some other prophets. I was thinking about this. I think there's a sense where all of us are called to be like John the Baptist. We're called to make paths straight so that someone else can hear the good news of the gospel. Where all of us are, John the Baptist, think about relationships that you have. Is there a way that you can make someone's path straighter so that they have an easier time hearing and experiencing the kingdom of God? I came to Christ when I was in seventh grade. Someone made that path for me. Nothing, nothing huge. I was new to the church. My family, I didn't grow up in a church family. I, everything was new to me. But someone simply said, as I went into youth group, someone simply said, hey, why don't you come join our youth group? And then someone invited me to this youth conference. I went to the conference. I heard the gospel. Uh, and I accepted Christ. Uh, and that kind of began a journey for me. That's, that's really simple. But someone, someone made my path straight. People's path have hills and valleys. We are called, like John the Baptist, to make their path straight so that they can easily hear and experience and taste the gospel because the kingdom of God is so good. We can hold that to ourselves. You talk about selfishness or self-centeredness, I mean, that's it. The kingdom of God is so cosmic, so beautiful, so engulfing. It embraces everything. It's so good that God calls us to make paths straight so that people might have an easier time hearing and experiencing the kingdom of God. All right, let's pray and we'll close our time. That's going to say a prayer for us, and then we'll take communion. Um, I'm going to give us just 30 seconds to just have your hearts open, you know, and uh, see what God might have for you this morning.